all you know 7,000 degrees per second of internal rotation. It's the, the fastest motion ever recorded in sports. You know, for me, arm care is so much more about quality than it is, in, it is quantity. Corey Kluber has used the weighted ball uh, program in every offseason I've ever worked with him. I mean, we're going on nine years together, so he's been very, very responsive to it. You know, I have guys that throw 100 in the big leagues who, you know, use weighted balls and like them. I have guys that, you know, throw 100 in the big leagues that have never thrown a weighted ball in their life. Max Scherzer's won three Cy Youngs having never thrown a weighted ball. Um, we have guys that throw 100 in the big leagues who love to long toss. We have others that don't throw past 90 feet. Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we're here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back all of our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. And to all of our first-time listeners, don't worry. Every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with Eric Pressy. Eric Pressy is the president and co-founder of Cressy Sports Performance with facilities located in Hudson, Massachusetts and Jupiter, Florida. A highly sought-after coach for healthy and injured athletes alike, Eric has helped athletes at all levels from youth sports, professional sports, and also among the uh, Olympic ranks. Behind Eric's expertise, Cressy Sports Performance has rapidly established itself as the go-to high-performance facility among Boston athletes and those from across the country. With his cutting-edge methods, Eric is perhaps best known for his extensive work with baseball players, with more than 100 professional baseball players traveling to train with him each offseason. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad, here's Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the Farm System. We're sitting down with Eric Cressy. Eric, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System. My pleasure. I'm excited to be on. Hey, well, you know, the big reason we wanted to have you on, Eric, is, you know, obviously um, you bring tremendous value um, to not only the game, but um, just that every single, you know, MLB team, all the, everybody that works with you, I mean, just renowned how many people have come back and said that they worked with you and how it's changed their career. So we just think you have so much to provide to our listeners, and that's why we wanted to grab you on today. I appreciate your kind words. We're uh, Hopefully we can cover some good material for everybody. Awesome. Well, let's jump into it. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey and kind of how you made your way into the game of baseball? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's funny, uh, a lot of people are always surprised to know I, I only played baseball until eighth grade. Um, I was actually a much better tennis player, and they were the same seasons um, in Maine where I grew up, so it was kind of a foregone conclusion that tennis was kind of my path, but I was always a, a big baseball fan, and um, you know, as luck would have it, or, or bad luck, I guess you could say too, um, a lot of the shoulder injuries we see in tennis players are very comparable to what we see in baseball players, so uh, my tennis career kind of chewed up my shoulder, and you know, it forced me to dig really deep to learn how to kind of rehabilitate myself and get back to, you know, pain-free and being able to do what I wanted to do. And it just so happened that you know, as I was kind of going through my strength and conditioning journey that, um, you know, some opportunities came up in the private sector to work with some baseball guys right when I was out of grad school. And, um, you know, one thing led to another. Some of those high school guys became, you know, college guys. College guys became pro guys. Pro guys had teammates and agents and teams. And, you know, here we are, 
you know, basically over a decade later with, you know, guys in all 30 major league organizations. And we've seen about 125 players drafted um, since 2011. Um, so we, we definitely are, are kind of right in the thick of things. But it's it's funny that it all emerged from basically a tennis player who was just trying to figure his own shoulder out. And he wound up finding a population that he was really passionate about and had some, some skills that he could leverage. Hmm. That's awesome. Well, and I know you're, you know, you're really big into assessments. You know, you're always talking about assessments. Could you take us through, you know, what a typical assessment looks like, you know, what, what that portion looks like when you meet an athlete? Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, it's multifactorial, um, you know, and it, it isn't just me either. You know, it's, it's kind of a team effort among our entire staff. So, um, you know, really it all begins with a, a conversation, you know, going over a health history, discussing injury history, training goals, um, you know, things they struggle with, um, you know, a lot of that side of things. So we might ask them everything from, you know, how many innings do you throw to where do you get sore to, you know, your starter, your reliever, you know, what's your you know, miss pattern when you're pitching, you know, you throw a two-seam or a four-seam, you, you know, slider, cutter, curveball, what is it? Um, so we cover a lot of that stuff, and then really, you know, it leads into um, a thorough movement screen. So there's a combination of both general and specific assessments. So general assessments, things like overhead squat, um, you know, push-up, lunge patterns, um, you know, but also looking more specifically at, you know, cervical flexion extension, rotation, you know, shoulder and hip range of motions, things along those lines. So we're really just trying to you know, pull together this this picture of the entire athlete, and you know that stuff is really you know obviously important. But then we where it really gets better is when you're actually starting to look at the mechanics of of movement specific to baseball, and you can take a lot of those physical and conversational pieces that you've you've covered in the the assessment on my end, and you put it alongside what we do with our you know our pitching, our hitting guys, uh, to really see you know where do guys struggle, what positions do they want to get to that they can't get to, um, and how can the training, how can the cueing you know, allow them to be a little bit more successful. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's funny. I think over the years we've realized that more and more of the assessment has become a dialogue than it has just been us, you know, moving somebody around and getting a feel for a range of motion. And, and if the athletes tell you so much more than we've ever appreciated, and that's been, a you know, something that we've tried to look at more and more in, in recent years. We're kind of touching on those uh, baseball-specific movements. We had Mike Reinald on. Several episodes back, he kind of touched on how bad throwing a baseball is for the human body. Can you kind of touch on that and kind of how you address injury prevention and strength in your athletes? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Mike, Mike hit the nail on the head. Throwing a baseball, you know, you, you know, 7,000 degrees per second of internal rotation, it's the, the fastest motion ever recorded in sports. So, you know, your, your shoulder goes through a pretty crazy amount of velocities, and certainly, you know, the higher the arm speed, um, you know, the, the higher the, the stress on the elbow and the shoulder. So, you know, that explains a lot of where the injuries come from. And I, I think what it means in the context of training that is interesting is, you know, we can't just, uh, just hope, you know, we have to be very, very proactive about putting programs in place to keep people healthy. And we also have to appreciate that because of a, the velocities in play, but B, you know, the joint angles that we're, you know, actually encountering that just the classic, you know, clean squat bench programs that, you know, have been handed out a lot over the years just aren't going to be enough to really give us the good motor control at these kind of crazy end ranges of range of motion. So, um, you know, we want to do a lot of work to strengthen end range external rotation. We need, you know, more core control to prevent people from, you know, slipping into a lot of extension and rotation. You know, they're going to need more hip rotation in order to both produce and accept force. So, um, you know, I think what it speaks to is this this idea of 
we have incredible demands through an extreme range of motion at high velocities. So we need to make sure that we have programs that accommodate it. And I, I think what's traditionally happened with baseball players, unfortunately, is that we've had you know, athletes that were either just given like the, the foo-foo body weight program, um, you know, just do some band exercises. And at the other spectrum, we had the athletes that were just, you know, handed the football program. Um, you know, so on one hand, you had guys that weren't pushed at all. You had, on the other hand, you had guys that were pushed maybe incredibly hard, but without, you know, specific direction and maybe not a, a sports-specific focus. So where we've kind of, I guess, made our money is, um, you know, we found a, a happy medium between the two. You know, we, we push guys very, very hard. We, you know, we lift heavy stuff and we just do so in correct technique. And we look at it as part of a bigger picture where um, there are a lot of ancillary exercise that we need to do to make them successful and, you know, have some high movement quality that are going to carry over to the, the field of play. So as long as you're aware of the structural adaptations and throwers and you're aware of, um, you know, some of the unique, um, you know, you know, demands on their body on the field, you can, you can write a program that's incredibly challenging, just keeping, you know, exercise selection in mind. I know that, you know, one thing that you're very huge on is you're always talking about interior core strength. You know, what benefit does that provide to athletes? And what do you think, you know, what is your favorite way to train um, some of those muscle groups? Yeah, certainly. I, you know, from, from a progression standpoint, in terms of how we train it, um, you know, you start with, you know, prone bridging, things along those lines. And over the course of time, you'd, you know, progress to stability ball rollouts and, you know, TRX fallouts and flutters and, um, you know, ab wheel and things along those lines where you're just establishing a neutral core and, you know, resisting extension as gravity works on it. But, you know, I think we have to appreciate, too, is that there's there's kind of like a, you know, there's a breathing component to it, right? So you're, you're into your core, you're, you're rectus abdominis, your ab muscle, um, your external obliques, those are those are responsible for, you know, forceful exhalation. Um, so they help to get air out so they can kind of reverse that, you know, heavily extended posture. Um, you know, we see people who, who don't wind up with extension-based low back pain because having better core control in the front, res- you know, prevents them from slipping into hyperextension. Um, you know, there's some indirect effects on, on rotary stability. So, you know, the, your, if you look at kind of the way that your, your tissues are aligned down there, they're very important for transferring hoop stretches during a, you know, kind of a rotational output um, scenario. So, you know, there's there's a million different things that take place. And, you know, just above all else, you're, you're also having a, an impact above and below. Um, you know, if you have good anterior core control, it prevents your pelvis from dumping forward, which can certainly play into lower extremity injury risk. And you know, also if you have better anterior core control, it's gonna it's gonna make sure that the lats, you know, have, have the right length tension relationship. So if you're very very extended and don't have good, you know, rectus and external oblique recruitment, chances are you're gonna be really really lat dominant. And you know, that's gonna maybe lead to a faulty external rotation pattern, inability to get your arms overhead correctly. Um, so there's just there's huge implications of, of moving well through your core. One topic that's kind of loaded and it's widely discussed amongst coaches and trainers is arm care. What are some absolutes that you think such programs should entail? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think principles more than anything else. I think the the problem that we see now with arm care is the people who, in many cases, claim to be the arm care experts, can't even fundamentally describe the anatomy involved or you know what quality movement even looks like, and that's that's a that's a really dangerous thing, right? That's like having a tour guide that doesn't know the terrain. Um, he's convinced that his map works, but he has no idea where he is. Um, and I think we see that all the time. We were, I was joking, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, it's amazing how many people know how to prevent UCL tears when they don't even know what UCL stands for. Um, but that's like the the era of Twitter now. <laughs> you know, everybody's an expert on social media. So I think you're 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 
core competencies with respect to arm care and awareness of what the involved anatomy are, what the forces involved are, and the, you know where the stress comes from, but also what quality movement looks like. Um, you know, and, and that's you know something you can you can observe if you just went to any baseball field and you watched like a band series. You're going to see some very horrific techniques, right? It doesn't matter whether it's J band, whether it's crossover symmetry, whatever it is. Like all those are great products, but if they're used incorrectly, you know that's not a good thing. The other thing I would say is, you know, you see people who who do you know 20 reps on everything, and you know that high of volume. Like sometimes you're fatiguing muscles more than you are actually warming it up. So, you know, for me, arm care is so much more about quality than is it is quantity. Um, I'd rather take three exercises, you know, exercise executed in moderate volumes before guys throw to optimize movement than I would to see, you know, 10 exercises, exercise kind of like half-heartedly um, where bad patterns are really established. So, um, you know, beyond that, arm care is a very encompassing term. You know, it's everything from, you know, tissue length and, and quality, um, you know, to, you know, cuff timing, cuff endurance, cuff strength, um, all these different things. So, you know, it's a, it's a very loaded question. You're right. Um, and it does mean something different to everybody, but I, I think when it really comes back to it, we probably agree on a lot more than we disagree on, but where, you know, the difference makers are, are, are the exercises that we're prescribing actually being performed correctly. Yeah. And, you know, not only just baseball players, but athletes in general, one thing that I've seen, and I'm sure that you've seen a lot is I see a lot of injuries because of, you know, a lot of athletes having really tight hips. Um, could you dive into, you know, how important that is? And also, could you also dive into, do you think it's important for, you know, athletes to go through a hip series or some type of um, hip, hip lengthening or some series daily as a daily routine? And if you could dive into both of those. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a, I think everybody needs, you know, hip mobility on a daily basis. If you don't use it, you lose it. And, you know, we're all born with a, a substantial amount of it. And over the course of time, you know, life, life, whether it's athletics or sitting at a desk all day, you know, takes us in a different direction. So, yeah, I mean, you know, all you got to look at is, you know, just the nature of like, you know, whether it's the, you know, the pitching stride down the mound or, you know, even what hitters go through. I think it's 380% of hip width is the average kind of like stride on a hip. Um, if you look at some of the research, like that's a that's a really big deal. So if we're going to have that amount of range of motion, um, you know, in, in all planes of motion, whether it's sprinting, jumping, throwing, um, swinging, you name it, um, we need to prepare ourselves for that. So it's not just good enough to to have that range of motion. We've got to have good stability in the range of motion we have. So, um, you know, on, on my end, it's a, it's a no-brainer to do a little bit of that absolutely every day. Um, you know, the question is, you know, how much is enough? And I think it depends on the person. Um, you know, some people are a little bit more hypermobile and they may be able to get away with a little bit less. You know, other people are, you know, they're built much stiffer. Um, so they need to spend more time kind of reducing that tissue tone and, you know, doing a lot more soft tissue work in combination with their mobility. They may need to do a little bit more static stretching as well. So um, just one of those things where, like, just like arm care, it's got to be individualized. You know, some of those hip injuries and some of those lower body injuries, they usually stem from something occurring in the lower back, pars fracture, something similar. Can you kind of touch on the importance of core strength in the game of baseball? And what are some absolutes that coaches and trainers should implement when addressing lower back issues? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there are a couple of things I would say is, you know, it, it just not to, to nitpick and, you know, kind of go the word player out, but what's interesting is if you actually, so you said core strength, right? Yeah. So one of the things that we know about the the nature of low back injuries from Stu McGill's works is core, core power, like, so spine power is positively correlated with injury risk. 
And basically that means is the more you move through your spine, the more likely you are to have low back pain. Um, conversely, what we actually look to see in throwers is we look to see isometric action through the core. They need to be effective at transferring force from the lower half to the upper half and ultimately to you know the bat or to the baseball, whatever it is that we're doing. So you know you shouldn't be developing strength and power through your spine. Your spine should be transferring that force effectively. Um, you know there's there's you know certainly um, you know a lot of research that you know supports the importance of of having good core control, having good um, you know single leg balance. You know has been correlated to you know, you know pitching success on the mound and things along those lines, but. Um, I do think it's important to understand what actually is happening, and it's, it's forced production through the lower half transferred through a stable core to the upper extremity. And I know uh, Dan John's pretty old school, but one thing that oh, you know, a lot of his programs that he speaks to, he always says that every you know every workout routine should have push, pull, weighted carry, hinge, squat. Do you have something similar, like a similar philosophy, or what type of movements do you like to see in every in, in all programs? Yeah, I think that you know certainly a lot of those those comprehensive things are are you know they're true of every athlete. You know, maybe where it's a little bit different is you know you you might take a squat you know out of a situation if someone's got hip problems. You might take a you know or you just train the pattern as opposed to training it loaded. Um, you know, some of the carries can be a little bit interesting if guys have some you know some certain shoulder positions that we may not like. So those can be unique. But um, you're right. You know, there are fundamental movements that are that are really important. I think you know. One of the things that I think just about everybody should be training is med ball work. It's a great way to, you know, train sequencing and, you know, work on things that we need to work on that may not beat us up quite as bad as throwing and swinging do. So, you know, I love med ball work. Um, you know, I think lots of single leg stuff is important for baseball players because they, they effectively live their life in single leg. Um, you know, I think uh, end range rotator cuff strength is really important. You need to be able to not just be strong with your arm at your side. You need to be strong up at that position of 90-90 and, you know, neither further back into layback. I think, you know, a lot of the scapular control drills that, that we incorporate, learning how to effectively posture tilt, those are things that I teach to guys at a very young age because I want to make them fundamentally aware of positioning and how important it is. Yeah, and it was great that you 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 kind of walked into my spider web right there with the scapula. Um, so you know, I I just I I know what I did the same thing. I was just like you. I had a lot of arm injuries um, when I was you know I I started learning how to throw hard and you know didn't didn't know how to stabilize. Didn't understand what the shoulder does. Didn't understand the importance of scapula function. Didn't understand any of that. Can you dive into like how important it is to have proper functioning scapula and what that plays into your arm care as well? Yeah, it's, it's it's huge. So I think you know, think about it this way, right? Your your body is is obviously very very good at compensating. We've heard that about athletes over the years, right? So um, you know, I use the analogy of you know sometimes like bad movement is just like you plug a hole that's leaking in the roof and all of a sudden it starts leaking elsewhere. So your body's going to go and find motion wherever it can. And in, in many cases what happens is if we have a segment that doesn't move well, like it's stuck, um, we'll go to an adjacent segment and it'll move too much, right? So you have someone who has really stiff hips and their low back, you know, kind of takes the burden for it, right? Um, what we see really commonly in throwers is the scapulothoracic joint. So the shoulder blade as it sits on the rib cage doesn't move effectively. So, you know, whether that's, you know, it's tilted forward, it's really abducted or adducted, so it's either too close or too far away from the spine. We know a lot of pitchers lose upward rotation over the course of the season. Some guys are really lat dominant, so the shoulder blade sits low. So, you know, basically we have these folks that, that don't have good motion of the shoulder blade on the rib cage. So if that joint doesn't 
doesn't work, they wind up going elsewhere to get it. And where throwers usually get it is their glenohumeral joint, which is the ball and socket joint of the shoulder. And so think about it this way. If you if you go through Major League Baseball disabled list time on a yearly basis, um, for all the shoulder injuries you encounter, you hear a lot of biceps, you hear a lot of rotator cuff, your superior labrum slap lesions, um, you might hear some capsule tears. 99.9% of those issues are either in front or on top of the shoulder. So what that tells you is the shoulder blade is staying down and the ball is going up on the socket, right? So we're riding high on that side of things. And it's, it's especially problematic when you take that problem then you throw a ton of external rotation during the layback phase of throwing on it. Um, you very rarely see injuries on the bottom of the shoulder. You don't see inferior labral tears in baseball. So what that tells us is that we need better, you know, scapular upper rotation on the rib cage. We need better posterior tilt. We need to kind of tone down those lats a little bit so that the shoulder blade can move to where it needs to. And what that instantly does is it makes it easier for the rotator cuff to do its job, right? It makes it easier because the socket's in the right place, and so the cuff doesn't have to work quite as hard to keep that ball centered on the socket. This is why it's so important as you do your exercise to, to recognize that it's not just the exercise you're doing, it's, it's how you're doing them. So if you're doing a lot of your rotator cuff stuff in a bad scapular position, you're, you're basically teaching yourself to, to drive a car that's out of alignment, right? Um, you know, likewise, you want to make sure your core positioning is good because it makes sure the ribs are in the right spot for the scap to sit. So, you know, all this stuff is, is kind of the canoe and where the arm is the cannon, right? You, you just can't shoot a cannon from a canoe. You need that stable base underneath it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we transition a little bit here to another hot-button topic in the game of baseball. What's your view on weighted balls and variation training? And where does it yeah. rank amongst other velocity training methods for you? Yeah, the thing I always say when people ask me this question is you have to remember weighted balls have been around for a long time, right? They just they just got popularized, you know, over the last five years on social media and, you know, kind of just more availability of it. But if you look back, like we've been using weighted balls at our facility since 2007, so we're going on 11 years, um, you know, in, in, you know, limited capacities in some guys and not at all with some guys, a ton with others. And, you know, so for us, we're very, very comfortable doing it and keeping it safe and all that stuff. So, um, you know, and if you look like Derek Johnson, you know, he's not a big league pitching coach for the Brewers. Like Derek was using it with his guys at Vanderbilt before anybody knew about Twitter or Instagram. Um, and even before that, you you know, you can go back decades and you can see, you know, Eastern European track and field coaches using it um, in, in throwing events there. So there's... There's a, a long track record of this, and we're getting more and more research that shows that you know arm stress isn't markedly different as long as the loads are pretty close to that five ounce baseball, and maybe it's the the underweight stuff that's a little more problematic. And you know we're still waiting on a little bit more research on what's happening with the heavy balls. But what I would say is you have to be able to separate out what's the difference between a weighted ball program and an aggressive throwing program, because usually they're just one and the same. So if you take any aggressive throwing program, whether it's throwing rocks, whether it's throwing medicine balls, whether it's just long tossing and doing pull-down throws, whatever it may be, if the volume is high and the intensity is high, you're going to see like this this kind of bell curve across the population, right? You're going to see the 25% of guys who get hurt, you're going to see the 25% of guys who thrive, and you're going to see the other 50% in the middle, right? And actually, the interesting about that 25% number, that's I know you guys talked to Mike recently, and his research on weighted ball stuff like shows that's pretty close to your injury rate um, in the groups that he looked at on, on, on aggressive weighted ball programs. So you really have to be able to separate out whether it's the weighted balls or whether it's just the fact that people are selling out for velocity where they're 
they're putting the carriage in front of the horse, right? You know, you if you're 15 years old and you can't do a bodyweight squat and you have horrific mechanics, you have no glove side, um, you haven't learned to command a fastball, you've never, like, thrown a changeup consistently, you, you you haven't done a strength conditioning program, you've done med ball work, you, you really have no idea where your body is in space, you have no place doing any aggressive throwing program, right? That, to me, is like taking a kid who doesn't have his license and saying, hey, why don't you go drive this Ferrari, Give, take it for a spin, push the gas pedal all the way down. And I... I know it, it sounds funny, and you know we joke about it. That's literally what's happening, and mm-hmm. it's because these programs are more and more accessible than ever before. Um, and you know where I have a frame of reference is like I joke about it all the time. I see the weighted ball rejects, like the mm-hmm. kids that come to us. In many cases, are the guys that did that program. Like, yeah, I went from you know seventy eight to eighty four, um, but oh yeah, I got a stress fracture in my back and my elbow hurts. I'm like, you know what? You could have gone seventy eight to eighty four just by learning how to do a good squat um, by eating a little bit more and by just letting puberty take its course. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we're, we're forcing things a little bit too aggressive when the easy answers are right in front of us. Um, so, you know, those are the things that we have to answer. But that said, Corey Kluber has used the weighted ball uh, program in every offseason I've ever worked with him. I mean, we're going on nine years together. So he's mm-hmm. been very, very responsive to it. You know, I have guys that throw 100 in the big leagues who – you know, use weighted balls and like them. I have guys that, you know, throw 100 in the big leagues that have never thrown a weighted ball in their life. Max Scherzer's won three Cy Youngs having never thrown a weighted ball. Um, we have guys that throw 100 in the big leagues who love to long toss. We have others that don't throw past 90 feet. Like, guys and how they train, it's, it's a unique thing. You have to figure out what works for you, and, and everybody kind of has a different approach to managing their arm. Let me let me dive into this question. We had uh, Brady Lale on our podcast last week. He's AAA for the Yankees right now, and he's a high velo arm. And I was talking to him. I was like, one thing that I've kind of experienced uh, with some of the weighted balls too is some of you know obviously um, like more of the warming up. And you know, you kind of talked into volume work. As I said, when I warm up more with weighted balls, I have to do. I feel like I have to do a lot less throws to feel warm. And again, I know that's different from person to person. Um, but what, what would be your take on that as well? You know, do you, do you think by driving some of the volume down and maybe how many throws you're throwing? Um, but, you know, is that counterproductive to maybe the weight and the intensity? Or, you know, what, what do you think on the shoulder? Um, what does that compare to like the volume wise? What, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, certainly that's a, that's a, there's an individual response to it, right? So you think about it this way, like some guys are going to need longer warm-ups than others already, right? Usually the stiffer guys are going to need to spend more time getting their body temperature up to get more tissue extensibility to kind of get that, that almost like that nice uh, lather on. Um, other guys are going to be more hypermobile, and they may feel like they can get warmer quicker. One of the things that you might see with weighted balls with some guys pre-throwing is if you're a little bit more loose, maybe it gives you a little bit more of that feeling of stability, right, having a little extra load. So, um, you know, maybe there's like that element of good tightness that they develop, almost like a little bit of an activation. So it certainly depends on the exercises too. The one thing I would say is I don't think throwing should ever be what you do to, for a warm-up. You know what I mean? I think your body should be in a position you should warm up to throw. Um, and, and what you're doing is you're doing a general warm-up, and then, then the throwing aspect of it is your specific warm-up. So, um, you know, for me, if, if if you're relying heavily on your throwing to get your body temperature up, that's a little bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think warm-ups are really individual. Um, so, you know, certainly there are guys that, that really like to use weighted ball stuff free-throwing. It's kind of interesting, like, obviously the Indians are, are you know, maybe the, the most well-known, um, you know, kind of weighted ball team in Major League Baseball. Um, and you have guys that, that do a lot of, like, weighted ball stuff free-throwing. Kluber doesn't do any of it. I know Carlos Carrasco used to, and there was talk, I think, 
early this season where he scrapped his free-throwing weighted ball stuff because he didn't feel like his command in the first inning was good. I don't know where that's gone from here. But it's, I think everybody responds to him differently. So you got to give guys a little bit of wiggle room. And you also have to define what free-throwing weighted balls is. To me, like, doing a half-kneeling reverse throw with two-pound ball is not weighted ball training. Like, that's just part of your warm-up, you know? Yeah. It's no <laughs> different than band stuff. It's not like you're simulating a throwing motion. It's the exact opposite. So, you know, I have no yeah. problem with that. I don't feel like that's going to impact guys too much. Yeah, that's that's something we, we talked about with Mike is, you know, obviously I get what he was saying about how, you know, if you're trying to recover from throwing, probably throwing more <laughs> probably isn't the answer. Um, you know, he's like, if the guy was, you know, his knee was hurt and you told him from jumping and you can tell, told him to keep jumping, obviously that's not um that's that that doesn't make much sense but that's what i was thinking through is like i like to me personally the reverse throws uh really helped me um you know before and after um i think it like i said i think it kind of balanced my shoulder a little bit from going the opposite way um but again i know it's you know it's individualized it always depends it depends on the person their flexibility their mobility all those other other you know things but you think about it this way right everybody responds to throwing in one of two ways right you either get tighter you get looser right if you're a guy who's who's naturally very stiff, you're going to lose, you know, range of motion in response to crazy eccentric stress that throwing offers, right? So those are the guys that lose elbow extension, they lose, you know, shoulder flexion, internal and external rotation, whatever it may be. So they tighten up. Um, and then you have other guys that are, they get more hypermobile, right? So guys who are loose jointed and their ligaments have more give after a throwing. So we respond uniquely. And so if that's the case, you know, the solution for the guys who are loose is, hey, we got to tighten them up. we got to give them some low-level stability exercises, give their brain, their spinal cord, those peripheral nerves a little bit of a reminder of what it's like to stabilize a joint. The other guys, we got to work to get range of motion back. We do some soft tissue work. We do some you know, stretching. We do some mobility circuits, stuff like that. Throwing doesn't really accomplish either of those objectives. It just it basically digs the hole a little bit deeper. And I, and I think this is one of the biggest, for me, this is one of the biggest mistakes guys make is, you know, especially on a five-day rotation, is thinking that they have to throw every day. Um, you know, I, I remember talking to, um, we had a guy who um, basically played here professionally, and he went to Korea um, and basically went from being a lifelong reliever in the U.S. and went to Korea, became a starting pitcher. And his first year over there, he threw 210 innings, which is like, unheard of um you know like that's a I think he'd ever throw more than 60 innings in pro ball and you know he jumped 150 innings going over there i'm like all right tell me what'd you do like why are you healthy and you know he had theories like hey we had you know five massage therapists for a 25-man roster so i got way more manual therapies like the other thing i did was i just i just didn't throw the day after and as i thought about it i'm like all right he got an extra 30 days off per year and you think about yeah. like if you've seen minor league guys that have gone to the big leagues, there's something about 180 innings. When you hit 180 innings for the first time, I, I would tell you that 95% of the guys I've seen, they all hate baseball by the time they hit 180 innings. It just beats them. It's, it's literally, it's like being a marathoner and, you know, you have to run 20 miles once just to make sure you know you can run that 26 mile. And they all are banged up, sick of, you know, baseball. They don't want to pick up a ball and throw. And the worst part is usually when you hit that 180 for the first time, it's like in many cases it's like your last month in the big leagues of your first major league season, you know, maybe they're big games. Maybe you're a stud minor leaguer who finally got like his September call up or something. So like usually like the highest pressure games, but they just get punched in the mouth. And what I talk to a lot with those guys is like, hey, you know, that's something that's your new normal. Now you've gotten here, that's great, but you've lost a month. The minor league season ends, you know, September fourth. Big league season ends, you know, October fourth. So you've lost that month. Not only that, you usually your your report date is earlier. So how do you get that back? You know, how do you get that downtime that you miss and Sometimes just taking a ball out of your hand 
for that one day after a start is life changing. Um, and I I know some guys that are you know that are into it and some guys that aren't. But um, the one thing you never want to mess with is is stuff that's going to play with your feel. Like like I know for instance like Kluber Kluber likes to throw a really short uh, bullpen. He's like you know six to ten pitches off the mound the day before a start. Um, so he's actually a two bullpen between start guy. You know obviously the the one on day two is is lengthier. He's doing more quality work. But his day four pen is like a feel session where it's just like all right I know my breaking ball is spinning. Hey does that change up I've worked on more in the last couple of years. There's there's just like an awareness of what he needs to do. Um, so you would never say, all right, take day three off or, you know, take one of those other days. But you have wiggle room on that day after a start to say, you know what, this is going to be a feel-good day. I'm going to get a ball out of my hand. I'm going to get some soft tissue work. I'm going to do some mobility circuits. I'm going to go on the sensory deprivation tank. I'm going to do something just to feel good so that for every high day, I have a compensatory low day that kind of creates this high-low model that, you know, we know has been pioneered in the sprint community and worked really well. Awesome. Um, well, Eric, we, we appreciate you opening up some of those questions. Um, a lot of great information. If if any of our listeners would like to reach out to you as far as anything you've covered today, what's the best way for them to contact right you? On, on social media is real easy. It's just at Eric Cressy on both uh, Twitter and Instagram, um, as well as I have a, I have a website, ericcressy.com. We've got a, a free baseball-specific newsletter if people want to check that out, and I'm, I'm accessible through that as well. So appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, no, and uh, I'll vouch for I get I get your email daily. <laughs> I mean, so everybody, I, I constantly get in all your newsletters. So I I, I love them. Um, a lot of great information that you put out. So I know the baseball community is uh, grateful for you as well. So we just wanted to thank you again. No sweat, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. All right, take care, fellas. Man, what an opportunity to have somebody like Eric on. Uh, what an influential voice. And a man of immense knowledge. Uh, Many times I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to this episode and just take notes as the man's talking. Very sought after uh, coach that just has immense knowledge and just amazing. This call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Man, Eric, it's like like listening to him talk. It makes me question everything I know. Um, I know it's going to be impactful to coaches listening. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey? I think my biggest call takeaway is the more and more you talk to experts. And one thing I, I love, and I want to hear all the answers to this is it always starts with, it depends. It depends on the athlete. It depends individualized, individualized, individualized. And I always love to hear the different perspectives of what af- one athlete might need this, another athlete might need that. Um, and it's, it's great because it also gives you some some sanction to some of the coaches. Like nobody's nobody's wrong. And Eugene Bleeker from 108, he's the big one of saying this. Is nobody's wrong. We just all have our own lens. We've all experienced our own athletes. We've all experienced this, or we've all experienced that kind of athlete. And when you talk to the experts, they've witnessed so many athletes that they always start their answer with, you know, it depends, and then individualize towards that athlete. Um, and it just really, I think show some love across the board to every single coach that they understand that it's, you know, when none of us are wrong, we just experience different things. We've experienced different athletes. We've lived in different parts of the country where certain things have worked with different weather or different, you know, again, different practice plans or different, whatever. Um, and it just, I just, I love that about that when we talk to any time of expert, but what was yours, Bo? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, for me, it's, it's partially what you went into, but it's, it's really about how he touched on, you know, throwing a baseball is bad for you. And Mike Ryan will touch on that as well. 
Um, you know, people always want to try to find an answer for velocity and this and that and the other. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like you mentioned, everybody wants to be right and, and nobody's willing to accept that there are multiple ways to get there. Um, I also liked how we touched on the simplicity of mechanics, sound mechanics, putting your body in the right position. Um, you know, it's like, it's like you said, you're essentially throwing with bad mechanics is like driving a car that's out of alignment. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I think just going back to the basics, having good mechanics and understanding those mul multiple ways to get to the same position and to open up and, and, and be willing to listen and to learn from other people because that's when we grow and that's when our athletes get better. So. Absolutely. No, that's great. That's great stuff. Well, guys, like always, I mean, this is a great opportunity. I mean, if ever a time to share, this is the one. Eric, again, is known across. He's the number one MLB consultant for all strength and conditioning for across the board to from every MLB team. So, I mean, this this one, again, a whole bunch of knowledge is spread around. So many things that are applicable. So many times you're going to have to, you know, hit the button that says back 15 seconds. So you can re-listen to what the man's saying and take in what all the immense knowledge that he's throwing across the board. But Again, share this with, you know, maybe a younger coach or share this with, you know, someone that, you know, has a different perspective or um, something that, you know, quote this with something that you think that other people would love to hear from an expert like this. Um, as always, check out our website, thesystem.farm. We have a whole bunch of resources on there. Again, as I keep mentioning, we got some big things coming. Tell them, Bo, we got some big things mm -hmm. coming. So keep your eyes, keep your eyes on the prize. It's coming soon. And just, again, just, just keep staying up on our social media, um, follow us, share us, look forward to our next post. You never know who we're going to have on next and we love and appreciate you guys, but until next time, farm system out.